Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Wednesday morning live from the Aspen Chapel. My name's Nicholas, and I'm the minister here. Hi, and I'm Heather. And this morning, we're going to have a mixture of um, some interviews. I'm going to play some music. Nicholas is going to do a, a short message, and we'll be exchanging some information. And today, we're going to be talking to three people. Uh, Palmer West, uh, who owns Ether, a technical outwear brand, which has a store in Cooper Avenue in Aspen. Uh, Kelly Nicholas Curie, the county commissioner, about the plans to open up Pitkin County. And Catherine Sand, about how the school is coordinating uh, the food distribution program. So first of all, we've got Palmer with us. Palmer, thank you so much uh, for joining us. You were brought up in Aspen, but now um, coming to us through the miracles of Zoom uh, from California. How are you and your family doing at the moment? Uh, we're doing well. You know, all things considered, <clears throat> I cannot complain. Four stores around the country, they, all four are, are closed at this point in time, um, and uh, for good reason. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're just staying together and trying to figure out how what this world is going to look like uh, for a retail business like ours um, when when we all come out of this. Uh, we're, we're one of the luckier ones because we are not dependent on a wholesale um, market. So we uh, sell directly to our customers. So even though um, we have shuttered four, four of our stores or all of our stores, um, we, our, our total revenue is only down about 25% because we still have a, uh, a, a very vibrant uh, online store and uh, but we're not reliant on buyers. Uh, we're relying on customers and communication directly with our, with our customers and clients. Do you have a sense of how the other shops in Aspen are faring at the moment? People like yourself, you, are you in connect, uh, contact with them at all? The people around you in Cooper Street? Um, I am through uh, Jen Blocker, who's my uh, manager here in, in Aspen at our Aspen store. And, um, you know, everybody's going through the same thing. You know, I think the easy the easiest thing is how are we going to protect ourselves, um, you know, with the disinfectants and the, the sneeze shields and the masks and the gloves and, yeah. and making a requirement for customers coming in to follow the same sort of uh, practices. However, the, 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 the unknown, the big unknown is, is what are the what are people going to want to do? Are people going to want to shop? Are people going to want to walk the mall? Are people going to want to sort of have some retail therapy? And what does that look like? Is it is it five people in the store? Is it, at, you know, everybody keeping their distance? Are we taping out squares on the floor and only one person in each square? I mean, we're, <laughs> we're kicking around all sorts of ideas. Yeah. And what are your plans for opening? Have you thought, where are you with that at the moment? Uh, you know, where we are is uh, I'm following the, the, uh, the lead of our governors um, in Colorado, California and New York. Um, when, uh, you know, we're not going to rush. We're not going to rush to endanger. Um, so we are going to follow their lead. Um, there will probably be some pretty um, stringent uh, demands uh, that are for everybody's safety that we will adhere to, obviously. Um, but we are, you know, we're sort of a cork in a stream, to be honest. We're not sort of uh, dictating anything right now. We are really on the receiving end of, of what's happening. And uh, our focus right now is just how to protect our people, uh, keep everybody employed, and try to imagine what these next 18 months is going to look like for all retail, not just, not just us or not just clothing manufacturers like us. Um, you know, when are people going to be, feel comfortable walking around again? What's that yeah. going to look like? 
Now, I believe, I mean, you're brought up in Aspen and you've got a long-term connection with the Aspen Youth Centre yes. um, and you, you supported them over the years. Do you know how they're faring at the moment? You know, they're, uh, they're, the AYC is, is locked down, obviously, um, and they've done a tremendous amount of disinfectants and, you know, they, they are making their, their space as healthy as possible. And in the meantime, they've had a very robust um, online connection with, with the kids and the families that they've continued to support and help. And uh, um, so it is just like, just like what we're doing right now. Uh, it's a lot of uh, online Zoom communication and staying in touch and know, making sure they're, they're programming as much as they can. Um, they can do so online. Um, so they're, they're very active and they're, um, you know, I'm quite, um, I'm quite pleased uh, to hear that they're they're active and they're still helping kids. And no idea so when the ARC might reopen again. I suppose you wouldn't know that. Say, say that one more time. Any idea when the ARC, the centre, will reopen again? That I do not know. No, no, that no. I do not know. I am uh, I am not I am not that involved with them. We do help them uh, once, uh, you know, multiple times a year. But our big our big support of them is. Uh, something we hold usually in September. I'm not sure it's going to happen this year, but we'll figure out some other way to help them uh, with the Ether Games, which oh, we yeah. throw a big, big field day. I mean, last year we had about 150 people and uh, a bunch of teams and everybody contributes. And it's a uh, field day. It's, 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 you know, it's like what happened when you were on school and you were 15 years old, you know, the sock races and the spoons, yes. the eggs and the, the tosses and everything. But um, we've been doing this for three years now. It's a lot of fun and we raise quite a bit of money for them and it helps them sort of keep their doors open. We call that sports day in England. That's when the school has its sports yeah. day when he does that. And now, yeah. finally, you know, any sense about the long-term impact this is going to have on the economy of the region at all? I mean, it's such a difficult question, but do you have any sense as to how things will bounce back at all? Um, you know, listen, uh, I'm no Notre Dame, but I do think that um, I do think that uh, communities like Aspen will be benefited because of their their size. Yeah. I think there is going to be a bit of a, a flee from from dense um, areas. And I think people um, will will come in droves uh, to to Aspen. I think international probably won't. But, um, you know, I think uh, I think a, um, a healthy community like Aspen is going to is going to is going to feel the people coming in, in waves as people want to get out and they want to get back and want to do things. But I don't think, you know, large hotels or cruise ships or casinos or, you know, these are things that are just not smart. And but, you know, the fresh air of the, of the you know, Picking County Valley is is uh, is definitely a draw. I think it's going to be a lot more domestic. I think you're going to find a lot more people staying local. Well, Palmer, we're so grateful that you gave us the time uh, to, to come along here and talk to us. Thank you so much for that. And I hope no, you and your you. family keep safe. Thank you for the opportunity and everybody keep safe. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, just like to, to welcome now Kelly and uh, Nicholas Curie, one of our county commissioners, a member of our, our chapel here. How are you and Scott uh, and the children doing, Kelly? You know, all in all, we're doing well. We miss you guys at the chapel. Um, you know, there's, it's not without stress. Uh, we're trying to stay focused on keeping our three-year-old engaged. And, um, you know, my husband started a new job, so there's always the, the fear of the last in, first out, um, if his company has to start laying people off. But 
everyone's healthy. And I think after about six weeks, we figured out how to manage working from home and um, attending to our kids and just trying to thrive as best as we can. Well, we're really grateful uh, you giving us the time. I know how, how busy you must be. Um, could you just let us know what, what the responsibilities of a county commissioner are? It's probably me being English doesn't know, but other people may not know. Just in a sort of couple of sentences, what exactly sure. is your role? Well, um, some people I don't think realize the county is actually a subsidiary government of the state. So we do have responsibilities that are delegated to us from the state, such as um, sheriff and public health. That's why every community has a public health department. And then there's other programs we have that are discretionary, like our open space programs, our housing programs. And the county commissioners are responsible for setting the policies and budget for the county. Thanks, very good. That was very, very precise. Thank you. And <laughs> what challenges are you really facing at the moment with this emergency? What are you finding that you're facing right now? You know, overall, the I think the biggest challenge is really pivoting from focusing on how people thrive to how they survive this, um, both with protecting health and through the economic devastation that this has caused. This is a really different emergency because ordinarily you would have an emergency and, and it ends and then you have the recovery. And with this, you know, we are going to continue to be responding to the emergency as we're recovering um, from it. So trying to really look out into the next 12 to 18 months and see you know, what resources are we going to continue to have available to help people who continue to need economic support? Um, how are we going to handle a declining budget situation um, to be able to balance all of that, you know, those needs, really? I mean, so with the I declining budget situation, with the declining budget, what... Go ahead. Uh, with the declining budget, what programs are going to be vulnerable over the next period of time? Yeah. Um, you know, the county is in a bit of a better situation than our municipalities because we don't depend quite as much on sales tax, though it is still one of our major revenue sources. And so we've already made decisions um, to pull back on certain capital projects. So we're not going to complete the courthouse renovation. We're not going to pursue uh, construction at the landfill that we had set for this year. And then we're also looking at... Um, looking at programs like at the jail. So, so the jail and the sheriff's office and, and public health, they're all funded from our general fund, which is our most flexible fund, but it's also um, the one that's gonna take the biggest hit from the economic decline due to COVID. And the commissioners had set as a primary goal for this year to really look at uh, fixing the jail because it is, old it is not serving the populations we had we had that really devastating suicide in the fall um and so the money available for that um is going to have to go towards some other things right and you are responsible um you a couple of your commissioners do serve on the board of health uh what are your responsibilities there in in this pandemic yeah so the the county and really the public health director and the board of health have the authority to respond to an emergency like this pandemic. 
And that's why you see Picking County's response is, is different from the state response or maybe different from what our neighboring county's response has been because we have that authority to make those decisions. And so now the Board of Health um, is starting to look at how we reopen our uh, community and our levels of activity and our economy. So that's what they're really wrestling with. And the Board of Health is also made up of electeds from our uh, municipalities as well as a medical director on that. And, and what, is your, what, what are your thoughts about the reopening? How is that looking at the moment? Yeah, so we've been in what we call a suppression strategy. That's why it's we've had very strict um, orders for people to stay home, to really flatten the curve. And our community has been so compliant and so caring of each other. And that's why we haven't seen our hospital overrun or have had a significant number of cases or deaths. So to ease that suppression strategy, there's several criteria that they're looking at and they'll continue to look at with every step that we take to reopen. And that includes a decreasing number of cases um, over a 14 day period. It, it deals with whether the hospital can treat all positive cases without having to resort to critical care standards. Uh, it means tests can be performed on all symptomatic people and that any of those positive cases can be followed up with contact tracing. So identifying what other contacts a positive person may have come um, interacted with. And that last part is what we're referring to as the box it in strategy. So, you know, the only thing we know about this virus 100% is that um, to stop the virus, you have to stop transmission. And so boxing in means you're going you're gonna to test, you're going to isolate the person who's positive, contact all the people they've been in contact with, and then quarantine those people. So those are kind of the four steps um, that we've needed time, frankly, to build up the resources to do that. We all know that we haven't had enough testing. We've been um, acquiring more testing, saving enough uh, personal protective gear to do the tests, hiring individuals to do the contact tracing. So in the suppression strategy, it really gave us the time to be able to do that um, and set us up to test anyone who's symptomatic and, and trace anyone they may have come into contact with. I mean, Palmer, who spoke just earlier, spoke about uh, people coming in from cities and things like that. There is a worry, I think, about the hotels opening and about people coming in from big cities and bringing uh, the virus from that. What's your, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so, so I, this is what um, the path that forward from a, a, a general perspective that, you know, our public health director has put forward. So we've already eased up a little bit by allowing construction and landscaping to go back to work. So the next two weeks is going to be monitoring whether we have active new cases and can manage those active new cases. And then the next sort of level of opening and easing will look at uh, maybe an increase in group size. So right now our group size allowable is five. That may go up to 10. Opening child cares under restrictive um, order, uh, opening up more businesses and retail and office. And then watching what happens with that opening. And again, being able to manage um, any new cases, test all new symptomatic individuals that happen from that opening. And then the next phase from there would look at um, 
maybe again, another step up of group size to say 25 or 50, opening some restaurants with real um, clear requirements to have a lot of distance between tables. The gyms would likely come in at that point. And then again, wait to see, you know, do we continue to have a decrease in new cases? Can our hospital continue to provide care without resorting to critical care standards? And then finally, um, you know, I think the, the longest piece out is opening up lodging in our short-term rental base, because that is the concern is, you know, we, we can handle our community. We've, we've demonstrated that so far, but what happens um, if we start to have an influx of individuals coming in? So our community swells from 18,000 year round to 50,000 when we have our most amount of tourists at our highest, you know, visitation and Christmas and 4th of July. So that will be the longest out to return to. And, and, you know, again, we have to, we're taking the position of slow and steady. We don't want to have to backtrack. You know, we want to do these slowly and, and use the standards to monitor if we have new cases and if our community's um, demonstrating that the spread is happening again. And we may have to take a step back and close some things down again. That's not the hope. The hope is to slowly, slowly and steadily move forward. And, you know, our public health team is, is um, I think they're, they're making it, it's sort of a social contract, right, that we've been asking of people, like, to comply. We're going to give the best information and plans we can, and we're going to ask for your help to do it. So they're committing to providing the clearest guidance possible to businesses so that we can get the best compliance from them. On that then, compliance, can you tell us pardon? a little bit, just finally, can you tell us a little bit about the, the new mask policy? Uh, do, does yeah. everybody have to wear masks in town from when? Yeah, so, um, and this falls into what I call the five commitments of containment. Yeah. So we're asking the public to really, you know, continue to social distance, wash your hands, wear masks, stay home if you're sick, and get tested. So Aspen passed an ordinance requiring that masks be worn in the city um, in the city limits. It goes into effect today, and it is um, intended if you are going indoors anywhere or if you can't, um, if you can't social distance outdoors. So for anyone who's three and older to be wearing a a mask, um, and that's confined to the city. And they are they do have enforcement associated with that, though I understand they're going to approach educating people um, first. And where, and where is the city limit? Where is the city limit? Where does it end? So, yeah, so the ABC is where it ends and turns into the county. Right. And, and what about if you can't get masks? Where yeah, can people get masks? masks? Where can people get masks? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I know the city has been having a voluntary um, mask sewing program and that they are going to be distributing them at places, um, you know, at retail locations. And they have done that. They went very quickly. So we're going to see more of that, too. They ordered, um, you know, buffs like a ski buff. Um, that anyone can wear, and that suffices under the ordinance as well. And, and for the moment, people can wear their own um, their own scarves and things like that. Right, like okay. a bandana. Um, yeah. And really, you know, you need to you need to wash it every time you wear it and change it frequently. And 
you know, your mask, it's a visual demonstration of your care for your community because it protects other people. Um, so, you know, I really encourage people to, to wear them and, um, you know, use what you can, you can because it is going to take care of everyone else around you. Well, Kelly, we so appreciate you taking the time now to come and clarify all those various things. I think people do want to know what's going on. We do uh, think of you and thank you so much for the work that you do yeah. and just want to wish you all the best for the future, you and your family. Thank you. We think of all of you and everyone in the chapel and our community all the time. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you. We're going to hear a little bit more music from Heather, and after that, we'll be hearing from Catherine Sand. So I'm going to play a bit of Corelli, one of my favourite composers. Lovely. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Well, we're joined by Catherine Sand. Catherine, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We, f we last spoke, you've been on the programme before, we last spoke on March the 18th, which seems like a lifetime ago. Um, how have you and your family been doing uh, through all of this? Thank you, Nicholas. Hope you can hear me okay. Yep. Um, we're fine. Thank you very much. We're doing, we're doing very well, actually. In fact, my son's turned 17 years old yesterday, so that was... Um, they had their, a COVID birthday and a very good one too. So we're all doing great. Fantastic. And when we spoke to you in March, you were setting up a program to provide meals for those in need. Now, how's that gone? Well, we're actually providing sort of groceries, let's say, rather than meals, because right. that sort of sounds like cooked food. Uh, it's going well. Uh, we've done it, I think, eight times. I've lost track. We're doing it again in about um, an hour and a half. We're going to start do another food distribution. I think we're at num this will be number eight or nine. Um, and uh, they are every Wednesday in Aspen at from 12 to, well, whenever. It's been about two o'clock, but we encourage people to get come reasonably early. And it's a drive-through distribution and is very successful. It's a partnership with Food Bank of the Rockies who supply 
a huge amount of non-perishable food and some perishable food um, augmented with some things we've been able to add um, by purchasing. Thanks to some donors, we've added in some vegetables. We've added in um, uh, meat, actually fresh local meat, which I think given what the news is we're hearing about uh, meat production in this country is kind of rather wonderful because it's, it's extremely local. It's probably traveled no more than 30 miles to be with us. Um, so yeah, we are, we're really busy. We have been uh, seeing a lot of people every week and we encourage everybody in the community, absolutely everybody, not just families, individuals, anyone who might need some food to come and see us and we'll give you a bag of food. It really is for everybody. Do you have any idea of how many people come through on an average Wednesday to pick up stuff? I have a precise idea, actually, Nicholas, because we we write down everybody's, uh, we keep track of who's coming through. Um, That's for our numbers. It means that we can order appropriately for a week to week. But we have it about, and also check where people are coming from geographically. Um, And what that is looking like is about 200 households a week probably rather over than that over that now but uh, in the aspen area 200 there's a similar basalt, uh, distribution in basalt every thursday also at 12 um and they're seeing much larger numbers almost double hours um which is not not really surprising given you know where they are in the valley and also you know there may we might think that there might be a higher level of need down there um for whatever re- those reasons um they're doing it on thursday at 12 we do it Wednesday at 12. And the, the goal is to, to prevent, to, to help people. So they don't have to drive, you know, miles and miles to pick up the bag of groceries. And do you need any help at the moment? How is your volunteering going? Is there anything uh, people can do to help you? Well, we do have a volunteer sign up. It's on the Aspen Family Connections website, which is aspenfamilyconnections.org. Um, we welcome people to sign up. Um, right now we have uh, too many volunteers. Unfortunately, there isn't. There just we can't have that many people around physically right now. Um, however, I anticipate that as town starts to open up, we will need more because there will be people who will become unavailable because they've gone back to work. How do you think things are going to develop? I mean, the schools aren't going to open now this year, and then you've got the holidays. I mean, is this going to carry on through the holidays? I mean, how, how is this going to continue? Well, it's a good question, an interesting question, because I have been thinking about that quite a lot in terms of how we structure what we do at Aspen Family Connections. I actually did a survey, Nicholas, of the of the school district families last week, and it yielded some really quite interesting information, which actually bore out what I had been thinking. So it's nice to be confirmed, I guess, although the news is not great. I mean, I think that many families in Aspen, I think about 50% of the families in Aspen, and this is in the survey, are doing okay. You know, they either have work or they're, they're, they're set up. You know, they're not, not really terribly worried at the moment. I mean, obviously they're worried, everyone is worried, but they are not themselves financially in trouble. But many people are looking nervously at the summer. And so if the summer really doesn't materialize in the way that people need it to, we're going to be dealing with a very different landscape. And um, really in my survey, about 50% of the people who responded, and that's, you know, several hundred, um, said that they had lost all or part of their employ- their family's employment, whatever it is that sustains their family. And uh, that's, um, that's nerve-wracking. That's a huge number of people. So we will continue distributing food as long as the food is needed. 
um, we're in a way it helps us that the school district is closed because we can um, we can use a facility when school opens up again we'll, we'll obviously have to decamp and go somewhere else but for now we continue and we're really you know looking at things week to week months to months and not much further ahead because there's so much that we don't know. I mean, Aspen Family Connections has a very fairly broad remit in terms of care. Um, what other sort of issues and problems do you find that families are facing at the moment? Well, I mean, the, the primary one, I mean, we, of course, mental health is an issue. But before you even get to that, I, there are what we, you know, think of as basic needs, which is food and money. So we're taking care of, we're taking care of food and we're supplying a lot of people with food. Um, we also have some ability to help families with children um rather you know not so much seniors and not so much individual adults or families without or people without children but families who have children from birth to 18 we have some funding that we can give some supplementary financial assistance but almost almost never going to be able to pay rents uh, that's a lot of money and the county is doing an amazing job with its own uh, you know emergency assistance team and its own funding to to help people with those larger expenses but we are more than happy to have families contact us in total, you know, privacy and in confidentiality. Uh, we're not going to ask them dozens and dozens of questions about their lives. But if they have, a, you know, a bill that's keeping them awake at night, um, we can we can often help. And that's the sort of next stage of our work. If you see you see what I mean, that we're rolling out. Um, it's, an, it's a slightly new way of operating for us. Normally, we try and spend everybody else's money before we do our own. But um, we're fortunate because of some extremely generous donors that we can do this. So I encourage families with kids to please give us a call. Um, as I say, you know, people here are very proud and understandably so. But there's no shame in asking. Everyone will have their opportunity to, um, you know, pay it forward to give back at some point. Um, but right now, we have funding. We'd like to help. And we make it easy and um, uh, and quick. So please let us help. Um, so those those that's really how our work's developing. There's also, of course, a very important mental health component. But um, and we are referring people to mental health providers, and we can give access to all kinds of resources. But right now, we feel that if we can alleviate some of those basic needs, that in itself will help families to um, to cope in a more general way. Um, Catherine, there, there are a lot of phone numbers out there. Um, people, phone, what is the best phone number to call? Certainly, the best number is 970-205-7025. So that's 205-7025. Nobody will pick that number up. It, you'll leave a message. Um, there's a message in Spanish as well. Um, we receive those messages pretty much instantaneously, and we will call you back as soon as we can. And happy to even just answer questions there's that's no a, shame that, in asking that's an, for help that's a family connections number yes that's our that's our kind of what they you know historically call a landline nicholas i think you know what that is well i'll put that as a landline well what, what, what's the line? i'll put that on our website <laughs> under the covid we've got a covid page on our website i'll put that number on our website catherine <laughs> you know what amazing work that you're doing i mean it, absolutely fantastic you know, when you say we're feeding you know, 200 households and things like that, we so appreciate uh, the work that you're doing. We just want to say on behalf of all of us here at the chapel, thank you so much for all your service. It's absolutely brilliant, Catherine. Well, that's very kind of you. And we, we, we love you and we send love to 
every every congregant and everyone who is associated with the chapel you're also a very marvelous organization and uh, we really depend on the faith community i think at times like this nicola so what you're doing is so important and you know i love kind of listening to you and heather you're so calm and comforting and that's that's the whole point isn't it we all do this together we're doing we're in it together and we're taking care of each other fantastic catherine sam thank you so much for your time all right nicholas thanks very much so we're going to have a, a bit of a pause now and just um, I invite you to close your eyes for a second and uh, just bring into your awareness everything that we've heard so far. We've heard from Palmer and from Kelly and from Catherine. So much going on, so much need out there, so much suffering but such an amazing way that people rise up and, and help each other. So let's open our hearts and feel that gratitude for being part of this community, for having these resources. And let's also just extend that orbit of awareness to outside our valley, outside of Colorado, outside of America, just extend your awareness and your heart energy to different parts of the world where the suffering is intense and dreadful and where they don't have the resources. And may we be appropriate in our beings in the small ways that we can contribute to the world's suffering. Thank you, Heather. Well, there's a, there's a, a phrase in England, uh, which is to be at the end of your tether. Uh, and I believe in America, uh, the same phrase is to be at the end of your rope. And it means that you are at a, a point of running out of strength and patience in any particular situation. Uh, I think originally it came from the idea of being thrown a safety rope and you find yourself at the end of the safety rope with nowhere else to go. But um, there's a bit of that about at the moment. I don't know about you, but I'm finding myself pretty tired after seven weeks of this. It seems to sap uh, all our strength and patience to carry on. And yet we have to remain positive in a positive frame of mind. Uh, Winston Churchill had a phrase he used to use to encouraging KBO, he used to say, keep buggering on. And uh, we are a bit in the KBO stage of this at the moment. Tired, strength sapped, patience thin, but most of us determined to KBO. Um, and there is now light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but I fear it may be a bit like the Glenwood Canyon and that when we get to the light at the end of that tunnel, there'll probably be tunnels after that, ahead of that, and we're not quite sure how the landscape's going to change as we go forward. But I do like uh, that phrase that people are using about um, opening up. Um, Aspen, Basalt, Carbondale, Glenwood Springs will gradually be opening up over this next period of time because it suggests possibly that we might be opening up too. Faced with our full walls 
um, and just our immediate family for company, one can shut down a bit to others. And now we're really being asked to open up ourselves in this situation. If anything, I think this has taught us the value um, that we have in those people around us. We can go from being you know, guarded and complicated to those around us to perhaps being a bit more open. Eventually the time comes when we have to say, enough, this is how I'm feeling right now. And perhaps we can think about doing that a bit more as we open up along with the neighbourhood that we're living in. We might begin to open up with those that we're living with. One of the things that Heather and I have always done in our marriage is something called contemplative chats. Uh, Every week, usually a Friday, because that's my day off, we have a, a conscious conversation where we let each other know what's going on with each of us. And we try to listen rather than fix, though it's a little bit more difficult for me because I tend to be a fixer. It gives us a specific time each week to open up to each other rather than waiting for the right moment to say something, which probably never arrives. And over the years, it stood us in quite good stead. It means that we generally know where we're both at, good or bad, and can be compassionate to each other. I recommend it as a way of opening up to whoever that you're close to. Interestingly enough, people have, uh, a few people have commented on the conversations that we've had at the end of services recently, and it does feel a bit now that we're having contemplative chats in public. However, we are leaving out the more fruity and personal bits. Still, it is a way of opening up, and I think that's so important as we enter this end-of-the-rope phase. So many of us tend to suffer alone, even when we have close relationships around us. And when we're tired or lacking strength or patience, we can begin to feel quite alone in ourselves. Opening up to those around us can share some of those burdens, and sharing the burden does tend to make the load lighter. I think a specific time is a good idea because it means that everyone knows what it's about, and you can prepare yourself in advance as to what you're going to say, and a context is set for openness. And if you're alone or don't have someone close by, maybe have a phone call with a friend that you trust. Maybe also those of us who do live with others um, might like to think of those people who are on their own and give them a ring and try and find out how they really are. I think it's not only, therefore, that shops and restaurants need to open up, but we need to do that too. There's a lot to say, I think, after seven weeks of isolation and we should be prepared to say it and listen to others as they say it. Perhaps when we finally arrive at the new normal, which by the way someone pointed out to me is actually an oxymoron, new normal, this new normal will have a new openness between us all. Perhaps we're all now seeing the value of having close friends around us and that we'll take advantage of that. Let's just pray for a moment. We do particularly think of all those who are really working on the front line at the moment. We think of Catherine and her whole team at the school. We think of all those who are running the council and all those in leadership around the valley and all they're having to do. 
those at the hospital, our first responders, all those who are cleaning, those in the um, delivery business, those who are running the grocery stores, all those who are putting themselves out so that we can be uh, fed and watered. We just pray for them. We pray for all those who um, have the virus around the country, around the world at the moment, people in hospitals, people at home worrying, people with loved ones, people whose loved ones have died. We do pray for them. And we continue to pray for our leaders, that they may be compassionate, they may be open to, to wisdom, they may do what's best for those around them, and look to what's best for humanity as they make their decisions. And we pray for those in war zones, who are homeless, who are in refugee camps, who are unable to deal with the situation. We just ask that we may individually and collectively be able to respond appropriately to help those around us. And we just mentioned those we've particularly been asked to pray for. Joan Downey, John from Clark's Pharmacy, who's recovering well and and hopes to be back at work soon. Rita Hunter, Heather Morrow, Brett McKenzie, Kevin Bedalian, Petra Kremel, Marianne Boltz, Diane Shelton, Jim Stark, Jeff Bonds, the O'Keefe family, Christopher Gavitt, Frankie Black, Ashley Morse, Chris Thompson, the Fox Rubin family, and Beverly Stern. We do pray for all those people and ask your blessing upon them. Amen.